The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. better get healthy and help animals welcome to main street vegan with your host victoria moran you've heard it vegans only care about animals and not people so for the month of april here on the main street vegan program we are going to focus on vegans who care lots and lots about people and about careers and callings and causes veg-related, and beyond. This is the month of the Vegan Plus. Hi, I'm Victoria Moran, your host for this program. It's a pleasure to know that you are spending this hour with us today. This is one of those special programs where the guest is right here with me in my living room in beautiful uptown Harlem. And we're going to be able to take this time to delve into her vegan work and the rest of her life. And I think you are going to find her utterly fascinating, as I do. She is Carissa Kranz. She's a former professional ballet dancer turned lawyer, licensed to practice in New York, Washington, D.C., and Florida. Aside from anchoring on the Law and Crime Network as a show host with Dan Abrams, you may have seen her on Nancy Grace, Dr. Drew, Fox News, CBS, CNN, HLN, NBC, Sirius Radio, and other major media outlets. Before founding her own law firm in order to be a caregiver for her ballet teacher mentor, Carissa worked as a prosecutor where she tried close to 100 cases. She now runs the law offices of Carissa Grants, a law firm for injured clients, and she also runs BevVeg International, which focuses on vegan certification for products and is considered the stamp of approval for conscious companies by Forbes, California Wine Advisor, PETA, CBS News, NBC News, Vegetarian Resource Group, and more. Welcome, Carissa Kranz. Thank you for having me. It is absolutely wonderful to have you here with us today. Yes. And wonderful that you have come to New York. I know you were recently a Floridian, and most people tend to make the move the opposite way. They go toward the sun and not away from it. I go back and forth. <laughs> back and forth. I go where good. the wind blows. So, Carissa, something that I didn't mention in the introduction that I know will be really interesting to our listeners 
is that you've been vegan your entire life. Who on earth was your mom? My mom is Carla Lewis. She's a ballet teacher, and she was actually raised vegetarian by her family and her parents in the deep south of Georgia, which I guess isn't exactly the deep south, but it was very unusual back then. And she had a vegan pregnancy with me against all doctor's orders and raised me vegan in a time where vegan wasn't so mainstream like it's becoming now. Um, when I grew up, vegan was considered weird. I was that child that would go to school. My mom would make me these tofu egg salad sandwiches and people would be like, ew, what's that? What are you eating? And I'd be like, tofu. And then they'd make fun of me and I'd go home and cry. And then my mom would put turmeric on it the next day and mustard to make it yellow. So then I could tell them it was egg salad. And then I would lie. And I said I was having eggs the next day because I was embarrassed to be a vegan because no one else was, was vegan. It was weird. A little turmeric to the rescue. Yeah, I remember things like that, uh, raising a, a daughter who's about your age. The worst thing was that once they sent home from school a checklist saying, we noticed that your daughter's lunch was lacking something from this food group, and they had checked the dairy group. And it was only because that morning, instead of giving her the soy milk that we had back then, which was a little bit brown, I'm sure you remember, but they seemed to think it was, I don't know, semi-chocolate milk or something. And we were fine with that. But one day I got up and made her carrot juice and she was lacking the dairy group. So, yeah, quite a pioneering thing. I'd love to meet your mom. <laughs> it's, it's nice to see a shift, you know, in the last 30 years where it's actually the number one Google term in major cities now, the word vegan. And yeah. you see the signs on the subway system. And I think you, know, you have your podcast, mm -hmm. Main Street Vegan. So I think that there's really been a shift where now it's the cool hip thing to be whereas when we were growing up or your daughter was growing up it's it's like we had to fit in at the table and i think one thing that's really interesting actually to bring up is people now look at me and they go do you mind if i eat meat and i'm like you know you know you do what, what you're gonna do i grew up being judged because i chose not to eat meat so i'm sensitive to people feeling judged and I think it's important that people don't feel judged, but that people just understand and become part of the shift. Yes, exactly. So tell us just a little bit about you, Carissa. There aren't many people who have ever made it to the professional level of ballerina. So start with some of that and how you got to do all these amazing things that you're doing today. You're such a renaissance woman. Thank you. Um, so my mom was a professional ballet uh, dancer and she danced on Broadway here in New York. And um, she's a, when she had me, she became a ballet teacher because um, that's what most retired professional ballet dancers do. So I was literally born into the ballet studio. And when I was an infant, she would put a blanket down in the studio and I'd be crawling around while the music was playing. So I really was born into the whole world of ballet. And it's just I never left it. It's a passion of mine. It's taken major dedication and focus and life skills, but it's something that I have done my entire life all throughout law school. I got a master's in journalism at well, as well at Northwestern. And I danced when I was in law school at the Oakland Ballet. And when I was getting my master's in journalism, I took professional classes at the Joffrey Ballet. And I went to University of Florida undergrad and danced with Dance Alive, which is the professional company in Gainesville. Um, 
And even today I went to ballet class. So <laughs> it's something that is part of who I am and yeah. is, you know, it's just part of my soul. It's something I'd never give up. Mm, that's beautiful. And that led you to do something that does have to do with our theme for the month, which is vegans caring about all others, uh, human others, animal others. You did something rather remarkable for your ballet teacher. Tell us about that. Okay, so I trained um, with Joan Miller, who ran the Palm Beach Ballet Center for 57 years in Lake Park. Um, she was like a second mother to me or a grandmother, and her her life was ballet. And when my mom moved, my parents had divorced, my mom moved me and her to Jupiter, Florida. Um, I took ballet class where my mom was teaching. And Joan, Miss Joan, always thought that I had the world of potential, and she gave me free ballet my whole life. I was on scholarship. And that just, you know, I always find myself when I'm in the studio. There's something about just, it's, you know, some people find meditation in yoga, some people find it. For me, ballet was always my meditation, it was my safe space. So um, I danced with her until college. I had felt like I had let her down when I didn't go dance with American Ballet Theater or go to Juilliard like I could have. Um, but a decade later, when I graduated law school, I heard when I was in ballet class, my mom's class, that she was down the street in a nursing home because um, she had Alzheimer's. So I didn't really know what had happened. I was kind of removed. And I assumed that Miss Joan would be okay because she always had thousands of people around her. She had parents and students and teachers. But the reality was is she never got married. She never had kids. She was an only child. Her parents were dead. And when she no longer served her, you know, quote, life purpose anymore because she couldn't teach ballet anymore, her whole life crumbled when she started to lose her mind. So what does that mean? It means that she lost her studio because um, she could no longer run the business or pay the rent. Her home was foreclosed. She had like a million animals in her house, dogs and cats. She was into rescues. Um, they were all confiscated and taken to animal control. Uh, everyone in her life just sort of took from her and her life was thrown away. And no one was there to really care for her or properly place her or be an advocate for her because I don't think anyone really knew how, and she didn't really have that. So I found her in a one-star nursing facility warehoused in a ward room with five beds um, one day after ballet class. Um, at, I was a lawyer then. I had already been a prosecutor. I'd already worked at Greenberg Charig. That's where I was at the time. I was making you know, six figures. And when I walked in there, it just broke my heart to see someone that I had loved so much my whole life, who I felt made me so much of me and who I am, to um, have lost her voice, truthfully. She was so in control her whole life. You know, she, she ran a business when women didn't run businesses for 57 years. She ran parents, she ran the costumes, she ran the sets, she ran the sceneries. She's very well known in the dance world and in the artistic world, like her legacy precedes her name. And I couldn't live with her reality, especially because when I found her, she was beginning stage Alzheimer's, not even advanced. So she was just improperly placed, lost all control of her life and had no one to help her. So 
after I found her there, I started going there every day to visit her and be with her. And we would do a ballet class at the nursing home while everyone else was in a wheelchair or in hospice. She was just, she shouldn't have been there, you know, she, and she even said to me at the time, Carissa, you went to law school. You're the only one that can get me out of this situation. So I felt a responsibility to fix it. So I um, left my six-figure law job, took over power of attorney, and moved her into my house where she has been for the last six years. Now she is advanced stage Alzheimer's, but we have... 24-hour care. She goes to daycare during the day. There's a special Alzheimer's bus and specialized day center that she goes to. She has meals on wheels being delivered, incontinence supplies being delivered, medication being delivered. And um, I actually just bought her an apartment right next to me in Florida <laughs> um, because after six years of living in a two-bedroom apartment with her and caregivers, I sort of had no social life and no privacy Yeah, that I realized that my privacy in life was priceless, but I couldn't throw her life away and put her back into the system that I worked so tirelessly to keep her out of that I believe in karma. And I felt like there was a unit that went for sale right next to me and it was, they dropped the price like 40,000. So I lowballed it. And they accepted. So I was like, okay, it's meant to be. So oh. she, um, her and caregivers literally just moved into their own place right next door. Um, that was just remodeled for them. And, you know, but we're still doing it. I'm still, and because of her, I, you know, I left the six figure law job where I was at Greenberg Traurig, which is a top global law firm. She was my first injured client pretty much to start my own law firm because my law firm, the law offices of Carissa Kranz, um, started out with me learning about nursing home neglect and elder abuse and malpractice. And then that catapulted into a whole injury law firm with hundreds of clients and eight employees. And that's where I am today, six years later. But it all started because I, I literally felt a calling to do something more meaningful than corporate law. Mm. Well, I believe in karma too, but I think anybody who listens to that story who didn't believe in it five minutes ago, <laughs> maybe maybe would now. And I think it's also so important that vegans, you know, I think so many vegans want to be a full-time vegan. You know, I want to have a restaurant or, or I want to do something that's just vegan. And yet for some people, to do something wonderful in the other world and then be a vegan with a reputation has so much power and substance to it. Yeah, I think what's important is to exist among normal people and not be part of this specialized group of vegan um, advocates where we're considered weird or we're considered sometimes we pigeonhole ourselves by not existing with normal people. And I think it's better to be, it's better to be in a, in a perfect example of a human being in society and let people have their own aha moment and want to become more kind or more compassionate. Exactly. Inspired. Right. And whenever someone has a reputation in the world or in their community and they happen to be vegan, then all of a sudden the work that they do, the good that they do that people recognize is attached to vegan. 
instead of what they may have attached to vegan now, which could be strident, holier than thou, some of these other things that, yeah. that we sometimes hear. People want to come to their own conclusions of why they're doing something. They don't want to be told. If they're told to do it, it rarely lasts. Mm -hmm. But if they come to it on their own and they make the connection themselves, it usually has staying power. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And we also want to know that when we eat wonderful food from a wonderful supermarket or restaurant or drinking wonderful drinks from any of these places, that they are indeed vegan. And that's something very important to you so that you have started a remarkable new business. Tell us about that. Okay, so the new business is called Beveg International, and I'm the founder and CEO of that. And what Beveg is, is it's a vegan certification company that is managed by my law firm. And why is that important? It's important because right now, the law does not set out a single standard for vegan. And the way the law is, actually is very deficient per many vegan standards. Um, for example, the FDA and the USDA don't require disclosures of incidental or, or quote, insignificant ingredients. How do you define an insignificant ingredient? If something has less than 0.5 grams per serving, it doesn't have to be disclosed. So less than 0.5 grams of sugar per serving can really add up, right? If you're talking about sugar, but they can still claim sugar free. So for a vegan, if there's less than 0.5 grams of an animal product or byproduct, I still think a vegan would want to know that there's an animal byproduct or source ingredient in there that exists. So we created a certification seal that's trademarked the beverage logo. We have one for drinks and one for other products. Um, and it's trademarked worldwide. And basically the goal of our law firm is to scale this logo to license use of it to conscious companies that have practices that are in alignment with our vegan standard on our website, which our research will yield because we really do do our due diligence. And by nature, lawyers are regulators. So, um, you know, there are other vegan logos out there, but we really feel that we raise the standard of consumer transparency and honesty and truth um, through our logo because we really require, we go beyond what other companies ask for. And we really get the third party affidavits, the third party disclosures. We research every source ingredient. We look into the process. We look into the, the machinery. Is it shared machinery? What are the chances of cross-contamination? And, um, once we ensure that there is integrity with the company's product and their process, we license use of our, our logo. And um, it's something that I believe, even if you're not vegan, people care about because plant-based options and healthy options and conscious options are on the rise and people feel good about themselves when they contribute to conscious consumerism. I also think people care about honesty and transparency, whether it's in their food labeling or whether it's their politics or whatever it is they're doing in life, people want honest information. So as a law firm, we feel like we are, we stand for truth and transparency and authenticity and have sort of created, not sort of, we have actually created our own niche of a practice area mm. that no other law firm in the world is doing and no other government entity is regulating. So as lawyers, we're 
regulating a vegan standard. That is so fascinating because whenever we think about attorneys in the vegan space, we think about animal rights attorneys, and that's very important. But this is a whole different way of, of looking at it for protection for the vegan consumer. So what would you say to someone who says, oh my goodness, they already think we're persnickety. They already think we can't go to any restaurant with them. And now we're going to get down to you know, less than, what did you say, five grams? 0.5 grams. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what's That's your serving. answer to those people? I think that those people would still want honest information if they understand it. So BevEg to me is like BeVeg. It's a hip way to say vegan without implying the strict, stringent qualities that the word vegan has implied my whole life growing up, which is it wasn't cool to be vegan. I think that's why the word plant-based is taking off so much because people don't like the word vegan. So to me, BevEg is like a coined word of be veg or with our drink logo let's get a beverage like beverage and um i th my goal would is in hope is that people because we're not out there at beverage exploiting or exposing animal abuses on factory farms which that's someone that's someone else's job you know and that's important to expose but what we find is companies don't want to align with us if we're going to be too much of an activist. So we want to inspire in our approach rather than, you know, PETA does like their part by showing the abuses and the protests. And you know, I went to Berkeley Law School, I understand protests, but our approach is really to just, we don't want to alienate people. We want mainstream people to want our logo because it's an honest logo not because it's a persnickety logo. Mm, I see. So are the companies that are coming to you first or do you go to them? I'm a little unclear on that. Are they vegan companies or are they just any kind of companies in the food or beverage business that want this uh, seal? Um, any companies that are trying to market to the vegan market and the vegan consumer are coming to us. Um, we were last week just on the cover of Vegetarismo magazine in Spain, which I didn't even know about until we had a Google alert come into my email as the BevEg logo is the prestigious logo that Spain needed was the literal interpretation of the, of what they said in Spanish. And for me, that's exciting. I mean, today we were contacted by a Spain beverage company and they're going to certify one of their wines, um, it's, I think it's important to also note we have a free app for the consumer where they can look and it's just in any app store on Android or iPhone, they can, it's B-E-V-V-E-G, and you can search the app for any alcoholic beverages and find out if it's vegan certified, not vegan, or they claim to be vegan, and that is constantly being updated based on information that we either learn or as we certify them vegan. And just for people that are unaware, what can make a wine or a beer not vegan? Yeah, that's a good question. A lot of people think that wines, um, for example, are just grapes or, you know, but unfortunately, wines, beers and liqueurs can be filtered through animal parts. Um, for example, is in glass, which is fish bladder, gelatin, cow's elbows and knees and horse hooves. They could add sugar or they could call natural charcoal which is bone char, um, crustacean shells could be used as a filtrate, 
filtration or clarification method or an additive, which is the skeletons of a fish. Um, and there are many other things which you can see on the BevEdge website that might be added to alcoholic beverages that we look into that would make it non-vegan. And alcohol in particular is interesting because that's regulated by the Tobacco and Trade Bureau, not the USDA or the FDA, and they have zero disclosure requirements. So if you look at a wine bottle or a beer bottle, all they really have is the alcoholic content. They do not have the ingredients. They do not have the process. They don't have anything. It's truly up to the winemaker and the art of, or the, the beer maker or the brewery how they wish to make their beverage. And they're not held accountable by anyone. So once again, we're here as a logo to lend transparency and truth to a process in an age of information when people want access to information. Mm -hmm. People want to know. People want answers. And how did you come up with this idea? That's a good question. Do you, do you know the answer to that one? No. Well, uh, maybe if you tell me, I'll remember <laughs> it. But <laughs> I don't know if I told you. Um, basically, I was evacuating Hurricane Irma. And I, I would have remembered that. <laughs> and I knew that wines and beers might not be vegan. And we were at the grocery store stocking up on water and canned food to evacuate. And I was like, oh, we need wine. And I was in the liquor section for like an hour trying to Google vegan wines. And my mom and my cousin were like, we have to go. A hurricane's <laughs> coming to town. And they're like, there must be an easier way to do this. So we lost power. We, we evacuated the hurricane. I'm drinking my wine. And I was like, oh, my God, I have it. And I wrote it down on a napkin, the logo. I drew the logo that night. And that night I called it Veg Bev. I went to sleep and it rearranged in my head to Bev Veg. And I woke up and I wrote it down at 3 a.m. And I was like, that's it. Be Veg, Bev Veg, Beverage. And the rest was history. It just it took off like without me trying hard at all. We ended up in Forbes and California Wine Advisor and NBC and CBS and Live Kindly Magazine and Vegetarian Resource Group and Vegetarismo Magazine. And we're working on some worldwide partnerships right now that is going to scale the logo into more than 70 countries. So oh, that's magnificent. And I love it. So we're not only believing in karma today, but also inspiration. Mm -hmm. And when something comes to you that night, I mean, it was very much the way Main Street Vegan came to me. I, I was on a subway after a PETA benefit, having seen a lot of footage of animal cruelty, which I had already been seeing for decades at that point. And I was so distraught that they'd been working so hard for so long that I didn't have a million dollars to just give them to go fix something. But what came to me was your next book needs to be called Main Street Vegan, and it needs to have 40 little chapters and a, a recipe after each one. And it was just like what you're talking about. I think it's unusual when those things happen in life, but when they do, we need to pay attention. So we will be back, everybody, after these messages. We'll have more with Carissa Kranz and Bevedge <laughs> right after this. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you enjoy our programming, we invite you to support it by visiting unityonlineradio.org and clicking on Donate Now. Help us continue to provide inspiring content to everyone. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Eric Butterworth, taken from the live lecture, A Course in Practical Metaphysics. Healing is the experience in our life of coming out of the darkness into the light, getting out of the confusion of human consciousness into the allness which is always present. But the allness of infinite life is present even within the illness. So God is not a healer. He doesn't look down upon you and say, well, you're sick, but you're a good person and I like you very much, so I'm going to take this illness away from you. God doesn't take illness away from anybody. Nor does God put illness into anyone, which belies a lot of traditional religious thought, too. We talk about, well, suffered to be so, it's God's will, and I guess it's my place to accept it. The will of God must always be the ceaseless longing of the Creator to express itself in that which has created. So it's a constancy, it's a force, which is ever seeking to press itself out into visibility as life, as wholeness, as success. To find out more about Eric Butterworth, visit unity.org. Discover the path to wealth with Mae McCarthy, May 17th to 19th at the Art of Living Retreat Center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. Mae will share her seven-step daily practice to achieve goals in every area of your life, including your finances, career, and relationships. A best-selling author, angel investor, and entrepreneur, Mae has been building highly successful businesses for over 35 years. You can achieve your dreams. Go to artoflivingretreatcenter.org to find out more. Did you know Unity has published a new book by Eric Butterworth? This wonderful writer and teacher, who is loved by so many people, left a recorded class called Practical Metaphysics that has now been turned into a book. It's Vintage Butterworth. He explains how to live from a deeper state of consciousness and awaken to health, love, prosperity, and peace of mind. Practical Metaphysics. Find it online by going to unity.org and click shop. Find the truth within yourself that heals, reveals, guides, and transforms. Tune in to Reverend Galen McDowell every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms. Take a deep dive into the practical aspects of new thought teaching, starting with forgiveness, spiritual healing, prosperity, and more. Reverend McDowell welcomes some amazing guests, and topics can range from reincarnation to the Bible to science. Big plans to join the show here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program. A couple of announcements before we continue. The blog this week at MainStreetVegan.net is about veganism and spirituality, and more specifically, sharing the vegan message 
with people who are religious, or maybe they're not religious, but they're spiritual. And it seems that when people open their hearts in these kinds of ways, that opening up to animals and looking at some of the beautiful foods from the plant kingdom just might be the next thing to happen. But very often, it's not. So the post is a little bit about that based on my now three and a half years of work with filmmaker Thomas Jackson on the beautiful film, A Prayer for Compassion. Also, when you're over at MainStreetVegan.net, do click on A Prayer for Compassion, and you can see all the places that it is screening around North America and around the world. Uh, We're going to be having a screening in New York City on April 18th, and also screenings in Tempe and, and Phoenix, four different cities in Indiana. So it's around and about, and if you would like to do a screening, just be in touch. You can go to thecompassionproject.com and just sign up there and say you want to know about doing a screening. It's really easy. It's really fun. And we want to get as many big screen showings as we can before we go digital this fall. If you haven't seen A Prayer for Compassion, I really hope that you will. Because you know what? I think if vegans could all share a prayer It would probably be for compassion and some justice and sanity thrown in there, too. So I'm talking today with Carissa Kranz. You can find her at her website, bevveg.com, although she pronounces it better than that. She calls it beveg. I like that. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to say, have you had your beveg lately? But it is B-E-V-V-E-G. She's also BevVeg on uh, Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. But she has another Instagram that is absolutely intriguing. And I would love to hear about that in this half of the hour. And that is your Instagram account, Carissa. That's at Laws That Matter. What are those? Okay. Also, I have my personal Instagram and personal Facebook, too, which is just my name, where people can pretty much find BevEdge and Laws That Matter, too. Um, So at Laws That Matter is an Instagram account right now that is full of inspirational quotes that's teasing the book that I'll be coming out with, which will be called The Laws That Matter. And what are the laws that matter? I'm a lawyer, and I have realized in practicing law and in practicing life that human law is an intended version of higher laws, universal laws, and spiritual laws. And we live in a law-based universe. And when we understand how to practice these universal laws and principles, our lives will work out. And that we all have access to these universal laws and principles, no matter our level of education. We don't need to go to law school in order to take this oath of attorney to practice these laws in God's court or from source intelligence or from whatever you want to call that entity source. We all have access to practice these laws. So The Laws That Matter is a book which is basically a manual teaching tools of how to live your best, most inspired life and be your best advocate, for example. You open this book, your subpoena is served. (laughs) You now have an obligation to show up in life, show up for yourself, show up for others. You cannot sleepwalk through life. Um, There are other chapters like discovery. So this is a book that people would say, oh, it'll be in the self-help section. 
I don't even like self-help because that implies something's wrong with you. I think it's self-discovery. So what do lawyers do? Lawyers do discovery all day long in litigation. But this is about self-discovery, soul discovery. The more you know, the more you want to know. Interrogatories, ask and you shall receive. Um, motion practice. So lawyers practice motions in court. Motions to withdraw, motions to compel, motion to suppress, motion to dismiss. Whatever it is, there's all these motions. Well, what are motions? Motions are a call to action, right? So if we practice these motions on the universe to keep our emotions in check, then we can have fun with playing with the law, which is a whole spin on law that nobody really understands because people normally hate lawyers and hate dentists, right? But this <laughs> makes lawyering fun. So for example, if a thought doesn't serve you, dismiss it, file a motion to dismiss on the universe. If if you want to go withdraw, go to ballet class, meditate, be alone, motion to withdraw, motion to compel a miracle, motion for leniency. If you want to have either to forgive yourself or to forgive someone in your life and you're, you're pent up with, you know, you're beating yourself up or you're angry at someone for something that they've done and you really can't even talk to them or deal with them on a human level, you can deal with them on a soul level and to practice these universal motions. And the book actually teaches these things. Um, another example is right to privacy and confidentiality. So lawyers have the attorney-client privilege, they have work product privilege, they have privacy privileges. So in the book, it's the prayer privilege, the right to confidentiality in your prayers with God or source or the universe or whatever you want to call it. That That is your privileged communication with a higher power and you have don't disclose it unless you know your audience, because if you disclose it to the wrong people, you lose your privilege and you dilute your message and you dilute the power of your prayer. But if it's with the right people, it could also elevate it. So it's just another example of the parallels. And what's really different, I think, about this book and this platform, as opposed to other great platforms that that exist, is that all these spiritual teachers that we've heard from like Wayne Dyer, Marianne Williamson, Abraham Hicks, they all talk about this law-based universe, but nobody has ever actually approached it with the education and experience of law as a framework within which to teach tools to actually play with these universal laws. All these teachers say the same thing. We all just say it slightly differently, and it just depends on who's on the receiving end on what's going to click. And who's and how is it going to click? You know, it, it, it doesn't no, no teachers right. And no teachers wrong and no religions right. and No religions wrong. The, where we go wrong is when we think our way is the right way and our way is the only way. This book is just one way to teach tools to access that higher power, that higher energy source to live your best life. So how did this part of you develop? You know, you talked about the ballet came through your mother and then this other wonderful teacher, the veganism was also your mother. Where did the spirituality enter in? It's also a good question. Um, so my mom <laughs> did this Buddhist chant by my bedside every day growing up when I was a child. And the chant is Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. And I always just did that in my head growing up because I heard it and it just, I figured it was this miracle mantra that would work. So if I had to go take an exam or I was going on a date or I had something going on in my life that stressed me out in my head, I would chant this mantra. So I had actually written my book 
and I didn't do any dedication or forward yet. And um, I was at a friend's house and she wanted to smudge the energy to clear it. And she said to me, what do you do or say when you want to smudge energy to clear out negative energy? And I said, I, I don't really know what you're supposed to say. I think it just depends on your intention, which, by the way, in my book is mens rea. That's the, the power of intentions, right? So when you when you have in law, it's always about the element of a crime is based on intent. So think the same thing when you're smudging your space, when you're trying to make a wish. It's all about setting your intention. Um, but I said to her, but my mom would smudge her house and she would say this chant, Nam Yoho Renge Kyo. And my friend said, well, what does that mean? And I was like, my goodness, I like went to law school at Berkeley. I like, I have all this education. I was on law review. I passed the bar exam in three states. I have no idea what this mantra means. I was never even curious. I just trusted it. So I turned to Google. <laughs> and Trusty Google. It literally means verbatim, I dedicate my life to the wonderful mystical laws of the universe. I, I got the chills. I was like, I just wrote a book on universal laws and principles. And as and, and while I took a vow as to be the oath of attorney in three different states, and I took the, this oath of attorney, I took a vibrational vow as a baby when my mom basically, from the day I was born, was doing this chant by my bed where I dedicated my life to the law of karma, the law of cause and effect, the mystical laws of the universe. And originally I was calling my book, oh, it's the laws of the universe. But when I started to explain the book to people, they were like, well, what does that mean? It was just too much of a, the laws of the universe. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, it's the laws that matter. They're like, that's your title. Yeah. And I'm like, you're right. It breaks it down. So I, I really think spirituality is something just like veganism. I was born into and I developed into it. I think ballet has made me more spiritual. It's a very introspective um, activity. And I think I've always just been this way. Um you know, things happen in your life. And if you pay attention, which my book will talk about as evidence of the universe, signs and synchronicity is evidence of the universe. And if you pay attention and you weigh your evidence, it will lead you to your next best thing, whatever that is. If you don't pay attention to the evidence, you're against universal flow and your life is not going to, it's good. You're going to struggle. But if you pay attention, you will be guided and sometimes you have to let the universe take care of the details. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. So why do you think, Carissa, that relatively few people in the kind of eclectic spirituality world, some people would call it new age, whatever we want to call it. Why is why are there not more vegans there? my pause, right? Yeah, that's a pause. Um, <laughs> I think everyone just has their own process. I think spirituality is a process. I think every human being on this planet, no matter how highly evolved or enlightened we may seem or sound, or even how good we are at maybe downloading information or having source intelligence give us this nudge of something we should do with our life, like you said you did with this podcast or BevEdge came to me. I think the point is, is that we're all here to learn and we're all here evolving and growing. And, um, you know, even with my book, I can write about these principles, but I'm human. I get anxiety and I'm not so great at saying motion to dismiss and, oh my goodness, it's just gone. It's not. It's like, we're human. So I think, 
you know, just because we have spiritual teachers um, who might not be vegan, I would assume if we had a conversation with them that they would say that they're aware of maybe the higher intelligence of that way, but that they're just not there yet. And that's part of what makes them human and enlightened because they can just admit that, you know what, that's just not where I'm at at this phase. And I think everyone needs to honor where they are in their life. And it would be great if we were this compassionate, kind planet that inflicted no harm and no suffering on any being. But as much as you would want that, or I would want that, or some you know people that live and breathe the vegan movement might want that, the reality is, is we're just inflicting harm on ourselves because we're going to frustrate ourselves because we're not going to be able to force that on the world. So we're better off just accepting where we are at, accepting where people are at, and continuing to live an inspired existence where people will want to be part of our movement. Well, I hope that we inspire people really, really quickly. It just seems the suffering has gone on for so long. I wonder which of the laws that matter you would think of as applying to veganism. Law of equality. Ah, tell us about the law of equality. Um, It's in the book. Um, I basically address it just in a paragraph, though, because I don't want this book to alienate people that can be part of a shift. Mm -hmm. And I think that whether you choose people, it's like the chicken or the egg. Do you become kind because you stopped eating meat or do you stop eating meat because you're kind? If people can start to become conscious and be part of a shift, they'll start to make a connection. But, you know, the law of equality, I wrote this book like a year ago. I haven't reread that chapter, but I'm in the editing process. But um, it's, you know, basically in the law, you know, there's, you can't discriminate. It's strict scrutiny against those that have the same, you know, gender, race, religion, sexual orientation. Um, Animals are sentient beings. They have a consciousness just like someone that might have a different skin tone or a different religion or a different sex or gender. And I think the key is honoring that we all have the right to exist here. And just because they don't speak our language and they don't have a voice to stand up for themselves in our court of law, that's why there are people like you and the other animal law attorneys that are part of the vegan movement who have a voice for these animals. And, um, if it's not necessary for us to eat them, I don't think we should be choosing to eat them. Um, you know, other animals in the circle of life, I guess, have no choice. And that's something that I can't even watch a kill on TV or a safari. <laughs> yeah. I can't watch that. But well, we, we have a choice. I, I had a wonderful uh, ethologist on a few years ago, Mark Beckoff, and asked him about carnivorous animals and what do we do with that reality? And he said, just so gently, he said, that's unfortunate, but it's the turn that evolution took. And I just, I just felt such a peace with that. You know, I think it's like, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. It's like, I can't change what lions and tigers need to do, but I can change what I do. And I think that's the key. It's, it's knowing what you can do and being the best version of you. Um, 
like you can do motion to compel my higher self to show up in life. Yeah, you I know? love that. Love um, that. That's and, what's important to be the best version of you and to live your life aligned with your your principles and what resonates with you and to inspire others without trying to judge them. Um, sometimes it's tough. I'm sure <laughs> it's really tough. You know, what's interesting to me, like when I'm thinking about uh, people who are vegan or people who are on the road to vegan and how much patience and admiration I have for people who are kind of surprising vegans, like people that you wouldn't think would find this appealing. But then there are some other people who, because of their, um, spiritual qualities, their intellectual capabilities. I'm <laughs> sometimes just standing in, in the back of the room thinking, but, but this person, how can this person not open up to this? But then I also remind myself that there are things that I haven't opened up to. And, you know, maybe. I think it's just that whole, you know, that quote, I'm not a I'm not a human being having a spiritual experience. I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. I think that that's, I, I, I'm definitely a spiritual being having a human experience. I mean, and life throws things at you. And even if you know how to, or you know you should be doing something differently, there's that human side of us that just battles it. And that's really where we have to come into our own self-acceptance and the law of surrender and the law of allowing and you and these doesn't mean that because you know what you're supposed to do that you know how to actually let go and do it that's yeah. that's part of the human experience that's part of the human dilemma that's yes. why we're so complicated well you can get some of these laws early the book is not um available yet but on carissa's instagram account laws that matter you can see beautiful little memes every day of uh, some of these different laws and how they apply to us. And you can also share them with some of your Unity friends if you're listening uh, through Unity Online Radio because you are a Unity person, hey, to you and to other people who maybe have uh, friends who love Wayne Dyer or, or love Marianne Williamson. And you can send them some of these kinds of spiritual goodies from somebody who happens to share your veganism. So, Carissa, let's just move here in our last few minutes from all of the lofty, spiritual, and <laughs> vegan kinds of ways of being to something that's more down to earth, and that is television. And lots of our listeners are doing amazing things in the vegan world. They have opportunities to be on television. Others have become their own television entities with YouTube channels and the like. So you have had a lot of experience on TV. Help us out. Give us a little media coaching. How do we do TV or YouTube and do it in a really powerful, effective way? Okay. So I do have a background in doing, you know, um, started out doing the Nancy Grace show and went to Dr. Drew and Fox and CNN and then hosting a crime show with Dan Abrams and the Lone Crime Network here in New York. And, um, that was another reason, by the way, how I got into laws that matter. I kind of got, I don't love talking about law and crime. And that's what TV requires you to talk about. I felt like I had a responsibility. And if, if you're good at articulating a message, I think it's important to be responsible in the message that you're conveying. So it's wonderful that the listeners are responsible in their message and in their meaning. So I think that the, the biggest tool would be to 
be really confident, really articulate, mean what you say, have conviction. And, um, you know, you need to find platforms where you can get the message out there that's not just a, a niche. You need to get to a mainstream platform. So, for example, when I did, um, I remember I did a Nancy Gray show and there was this awful crime story in a trailer park where this seven-year-old boy went in and got a gun out of his 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 trailer home and shot the dog of the five-year-old girl because he wouldn't she wouldn't let him pet it he went and took a gun and shot the dog and nancy grace and all the lawyers were talking about how you know with a crime that existed and i took that opportunity to say on national television well there's a bigger problem here a seven-year-old boy was taken out hunting with his dad at like the age of five and taught how to shoot a gun. So this kid is taught to have zero respect for life in general. And it's just a toy to him. Like, oh, I didn't get my way. I'm going to shoot the dog and kill it. So, you know, I took that as an opportunity to, to, to honestly, I got some social media backlash from people on that because people love hunting. It's a sport. And I turn people the wrong way. I think, I think the key is, is to, to know what you want to say, be clear in your message, have conviction, have your thoughts together, let it come from the heart. If you, if you, if it's coming from a place within you, that is something that is within you, then there's a reason that you have a message to tell. And if you have an opportunity to make it go mainstream in some way or to infiltrate is really what we need to do. We mm -hmm. need to infiltrate our messages in mainstream in order to compel a, a planet that's kinder and more compassionate in their approach to all life. That's great advice for television and a real one-on-one -on -one communications. You know, the old joke, how can you tell if somebody's vegan? Don't worry, they'll let you know. Um, but I think we need to be letting people know by our, our general approachability and and this aspirational nature of our lives. I think that vegans ought to be more vibrant and, and energetic, not only because we're eating great food, we're not being bogged down with all the cholesterol and saturated fat and lack of fiber, but also because we're not taking in that fear and pain and suffering. And so if there's something going on in our lives where we're not putting those positive messages out into the world, I think we need to. And I think sometimes with activists in particular, it's so easy to prioritize the activism and put one's own needs on a secondary basis. But the activism is going to be worth so much more if you're taking care of yourself and really shining your light. Exactly. I think activism is great. That's some people's approach. It's never been mine. I think it's partly because I was so ostracized growing up for just being the way I was that I'm just now coming in. Like now I'm in my own and I'm comfortable to do it. And I use the opportunity to let people know I'm vegan. Like if I'm in ballet class and someone's like, oh my gosh, you're such a great ballet dancer. Or you have the perfect ballet body and your muscles like, how did you do that? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm vegan. You know, <laughs> you just like, you take the opportunity to, to deliver it as an answer to the compliment. Or if someone's like, you have such a beautiful skin, or I love your hair. What would you take any vitamins? Oh, I'm vegan. You know, um, 
just you take every opportunity you can to feed a compliment with the solution if it's an honest if it's an honest solution yes looks uh, like the, do- the dogs are trying to end the show yeah there's a l- little uh, vegan pardon you know when i do this show by myself i have a little room and i can close the door and keep everything really quiet in the background but the key word there is little this is new york city if you know manhattan a lot of people live in very small spaces So I'm in a bigger space today, but every time my rescue pigeon thunder, (laughs) and if you go to my Instagram, Main Street Vegan, you can see pictures of thunder. He lives indoors because he's blind in one eye. But when he flaps his wings, my dog Forbes seems to think that there's um, something untoward going on. So he makes his voice known. And I trust that anybody who wants to listen to a program called Main Street Vegan is okay with pigeons cooing, dogs barking, and life proceeding as it is. Carissa Kranz, my goodness, she's got BevVeg, B-E-V-V-E-G, and you can find her online, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, BevVeg, and also at Laws That Matter. You'll find her on TV, you'll find her around and about, and hopefully you'll find her in your memory as you think about this show and some of the things that were shared today. As we proceed through this month, we are going to be talking with all sorts of amazing people who care about people, who care about animals, who care about this planet, and that pretty much describes you too. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Unity Online Radio and our engineer, Jeff Comfort. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down.